Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minnesota Food Share March campaign is in full swing and a preview of the NCAA Final Four in Minneapolis. But first, earlier this week, Governor Tim Walz signed his first two bills into law at the state capitol. This is an exciting day, and I'll just uh, own this candidly. It'll be the first uh, bill that I get to sign as the the 41st governor of Minnesota. Uh, It's doing the people's work, and I'd just like to take a couple minutes to talk about what ended up here. I know there was a, a somewhat of an informal lottery of what would be the first bill that ended up here, distracted driving, voting, uh, or this. Uh, And these two pieces of legislation today, while I think if you look from the outside and you weren't following this, may not seem like they would have been the high profile things that came here, but this is the hard work of governance. This is the stuff that impacts people's tax dollars in a fairly significant manner, and it impacts the experience they have with government and the expectations they have out of government. Whether it's the ability to walk in and get a driver's license in a timely manner, or whether it's to work collectively together to take care of a toxic landfill in Andover that impacts all of us, and with Representative Scott's voice continuing to tell us that we need to move on this, and if we move quickly, we can save money. Those are the types of things that we came to. So we're here today to sign two pieces of legislation. The first deals with the broader issue of MinLARS driver's license and IT in the state. The MinLARS bill provides $13 million in critical funding to try to get the program back on the right track. Wall says negotiating the bills was a bipartisan success story. That spirit of bipartisan cooperation is one shared by Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, who calls this a good first step as lawmakers head toward a May 20th end-of-session deadline. As we look to May, this is what I want it to look like. But you have uh, Democrats and Republicans, the governor, the speaker, myself, and, and leaders from both bodies, both sides of the aisle, are here saying we got it done, we got it done on time, and it's something that we all can be proud of. And Gazelka added, It shows that we can, as the only divided government uh, in the United States, actually function in a way that's good for Minnesota. So I, I too, am very proud of it, have great working relationships with the governor and the speaker. That bodes really well for Minnesota. At the bill signing, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan put the new laws and the bipartisan effort it took to get them across the finish line in perspective. I understand the frustrations Minnesotans are having with the current licensing system. And this bill will allow us to continue to work on the driver and vehicle services components of MinLARS to continue increased staffing at uh, driver and vehicle services to better serve Minnesotans and to evaluate the the progress on system development. These funds ensure work on the system continues uh, while also exploring options for continued development. The second bill that the governor is signing today will fund critical environmental and infrastructure progress, uh, projects around Minnesota. Every family we believe deserves to live in a community with safe drinking water, clean air, and a healthy environment. The second bill the governor is signing today will help to make that a reality for more Minnesotans. And I'm heartened by the bipartisan work uh, that went into passing this important legislation. As you know, the governor and I both come out of the legislative branch, and we understand the importance of working together across lines of difference to solve tough problems in Minnesota. We are committed to building on this momentum through the rest 
rest of the session. And we will continue to foster conversations, build counterintuitive coalitions, and get things done. Though the $13 million to improve Minlar's process is a start, one aspect not covered in the newly enacted law is reimbursement for the deputy registrars who've already been impacted by the botched rollout and implementation of the program. Hutchinson Senator Scott Newman, who's been at the forefront of dealing with Minlar's fixes, is pushing for a total dollar amount that the state might have to pay deputy registrars for losses. A bill moving forward in the Minnesota Senate has $10 million, but Newman is concerned that could end up being only a down payment. I do appreciate the fact that we've got to get some money out the door to the deputy registrars. I really do understand that but I don't want to be piecemealed to death. Lobbyists indicate $10 million might cover deputy registrar's extra expenses for the first year only. And Todd Hill with the Private Deputy Registrar's Association says in addition to money lost on transactions, business valuations have been driven into the ground. Families who built these businesses up in an effort to pass them on to their children or to sell them for their retirement, and those, those businesses are now worth pennies on the dollar. Senator Newman responded, You have very clearly identified what has worried me the most. Uh, about this situation. In addition to the Minlars bill, the governor also signed into law a $102 million bonding bill and said, We coupled it with uh, some of these projects that got lost in the uh, the megabus or whatever it was at the end of last session um, that were really important. These are projects that matter to people. They're projects across this entire state. And while the Andover landfill kind of became uh, the poster child for this, uh, there were many of these other projects that mattered. And how we went about setting aside some differences on how these things should be funded, how we went forward both in the case of Andover, if we do it now, we save money. The price is only going to go up, and the risk to citizens in terms of contaminated water will continue to go up. That just makes good sense. And in this, we used it as an opportunity in a bipartisan way to do some technical fixes and corrections to the corridor of commerce. And I am just going to, in full disclosure, lay it out there. As I told uh, Senator Senjum, thank God the Highway 14 piece is in there, and it's fixed. As a member of, <laughs> as a member of Congress from Southern District, um, but what what we do know is all of these other fixes that in there are equally important what we're learning together. So I'm proud to be here today. I'm proud that the process worked. Of course, there are many other big ticket items on lawmakers' agendas between now and sessions end in May. We'll have all the latest on how well that process of bipartisan cooperation holds up. More immediately, though, I'll be back with Bill Werner for an update on some of the other key items this week at the state legislature when Minnesota Matters returns. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Democrats in the U.S. House wrangled most of this week about what to do after one of their own, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, repeatedly made comments that many considered anti-Semitic. MNN's Bill Werner recaps events that again put Minnesota in the national spotlight. Scott, Democrats drafted an anti-bigotry resolution, which reportedly did not specifically mention Omar. But a vote was postponed when a group of progressives came out in support of her and called on Democratic leaders to equally condemn anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism, and xenophobia. Back in Minnesota, former Congressman, now Governor Tim Walz, said about Omar's statement that Israel's supporters are pushing allegiance to a foreign country. It is unacceptable. At a time like this in our country where there's a lot of division, we have got to really guard each and every one of us against using that language. As a vote on an anti-bigotry resolution remained in limbo, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters she didn't think Omar fully understood the weight her words carried. It was late Thursday afternoon when Democrats finally brought up a resolution for a vote on the House floor. It broadly condemned bigotry, but did not mention Representative Omar by name. What we're doing here today is making it unequivocally clear that no one has the support to engage in discrimination and racism and anti-Semitism. Louisiana Democrat Cedric Richmond, New York Democrat Elliot Engel said, No member of Congress should be making anti-Semitic statements. No member of Congress should be saying hurtful things and then not apologizing for them. Republican Lee Zeldin from New York responded, Representative Omar apologized for anti-Semitic comments in January, sort of apologized for more comments in February. And now we're back again, this time by saying that if you support the U.S.-Israel relationship, that you must have pledged allegiance to a foreign government. Except this time that member is refusing to apologize. Even if you gave that member every benefit of the doubt that she had no idea what she was doing, why now wouldn't she be apologizing? Why would she be more emboldened to refuse an apology altogether. I apparently uh, am giving Rep. Omar more credit than uh, the Speaker is because I don't believe she is naive. I believe that she knows exactly what she's doing. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said, All of us must remember that our words are weightier once we cross the threshold into Congress, and indeed they weigh a ton when someone becomes the President of the United States. Arizona Republican Andy Biggs pointed to what he called a pattern of anti-Semitic comments by Omar and criticized Democratic leaders' response. Sooner or later, you have to face what the awful truth is. And if someone is going to persist in making anti-Semitic hateful statements, to bury that is inexcusable. Omar, in a written statement, did not address the issue of an apology but did say the House measure is, quote, the first time we have voted on a resolution condemning anti-Muslim bigotry in our nation's history. Omar said she's tremendously proud to be part of a body that has condemned, quote, all forms of bigotry, including anti-Semitism, racism, and white supremacy. Let's switch gears from Washington politics to Minnesota weather. Snow and brutal cold have forced school districts to cancel classes a lot more than usual this year. And the Minnesota Senate this week passed a bill that would allow districts for this school year only to not have to make those days up to meet the state's requirements for minimum number of classroom days. Woodbury Democrat Susan Kent objects that measure is too broad. It allows a lot of flexibility to school districts to 
significantly cut the hours of learning for our students. Rochester Republican Carla Nelson responded. School districts know better about when and which days they need to cut their calendar short by. The Senate bill is open-ended on how many snow days school districts can take without having to make them up. A bill moving through the Minnesota House would allow only three days, those at the end of January during the worst of that polar vortex. So it looks like the two chambers at some point will have to try to hammer out a compromise. Will Minnesota have a wolf hunting season again? That's one of many questions. Now that federal officials reportedly plan to lift protections for gray wolves across the lower 48 states, that announcement came this week. Dr. Maureen Hackett with the group Howling for Wolves says... There are a lot of unknowns, and it, it is my hope that at minimum... We do not have a wolf hunt. Minnesota DNR officials not reachable for comment on whether they will reinstate Minnesota's wolf hunting season if federal protections are lifted. There have been bills introduced to the legislature to prohibit a wolf hunting season in Minnesota, but no vote. 7th District Congressman Colin Peterson says moves to delist the gray wolf are, quote, a step in the right direction to ensure that farmers and ranchers in Minnesota can protect their livestock and pets without fear of punishment. The Democrat-controlled Minnesota House voted this week to put an equal rights amendment to the Minnesota Constitution on the ballot in 2020, but the Republican-controlled Senate likely won't allow it. Albert Lee Republican Peggy Bennett warns because equality could not be denied on account of gender, Transgender males would be allowed to play on women's sports teams. We're opening up right now. What I see is the end of girls and women's sports as we know it. Bill sponsor, New Brighton Democrat Mary Kunish-Podine, responded the proposed amendment is about equal rights for women. Not about who can be on what team and who has to uh, go in one gym and who has to go in another bathroom. Opponents also warn an equal rights amendment could be a path to abortion. Maple Lake Republican Marion O'Neill. I come from a line of incredibly strong women, and it breaks my heart to have to vote no on this bill today. I will not allow this bill to be used as a tool for abortion. I have held my own child in my arms as she died, and I will not, I cannot vote for this bill. Democrats responded an equal rights amendment is not about abortion, it's about equal rights for women. In our Constitution, we put in fishing in our, this document. Don't you think we deserve to have women and their role in our society there? That's Minneapolis Democrat Diane Loeffler. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The state's largest food drive is underway. MN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Minnesota Food Share's March food campaign is going strong. Joining me now is Summer Anthony, program manager for Minnesota Food Share. Summer, can you explain the history of the March drive? Absolutely. This is our 38th March campaign. We started in 1982. A group of individuals in the Twin Cities area who saw that their food shelves during these late winter, early spring months, were really the shelves were bare. So they came together to rally their communities to fill their food shelves. And it was such an incredible outpouring of generosity and support in the community that the next year it became a statewide effort, and it's been that way ever since. So for the entire month of March, food shelves throughout the state are partnering with individuals, groups, 
schools, organizations, businesses, and faith communities to stock their food shelves to raise food and funds um, to really ensure that all Minnesotans have access to food. And, you know, when we talk about the March campaign, uh, this really helps stock the shelves for a number of months. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, um, especially in certain regions of the state, they report that what they bring in during the March campaign can some, sometimes fill their food shelf for half of the year or more. So it's really an impactful effort. And I kind of remember when I was a kid and we did different food drives uh, in the state, we were, we were going out and asking for canned, you know, de- donations. But I know, sure. yeah, but I know really now uh, those cash donations can go a bit further. Can you explain that? Absolutely. Food chefs are able to turn a donor's dollar into anywhere from three to some food shelves report up to food um, up to ten dollars worth of items. So food shelves have access to discount programs, um, local food banks throughout the state where they can purchase items that their community need at a discounted rate. Um, and they can really stretch that donation. So not only are they getting more for your dollar, but they're also filling the food shelf with the items that their community really are in need of. And when we talk about food shelf use in the state, are we still seeing record levels of people coming to the shelves? Absolutely. So from 2011 through 2017, each year over 3 million visits were made to Minnesota food shelves. And in 2017, that hit a record high with over 3.4 million visits. We don't have the 2018 data yet, but it looks like it's going to be really similar to 2017. So those visits just keep increasing. And who's using um, the state's 300-plus food shelves summer? Really um, anyone. When you think about it, we have folks from all different backgrounds um, in a variety of situations. So sometimes individuals are using food shelves just because there's an emergency situation and they've had to shift their resources around, so they may utilize their local food shelf for a short amount of time. Other folks, we're seeing that even though our economy is great and unemployment rates are low, not everybody is able to access the resources needed. Um, cost of living keeps going up. Our mortgage rates, our rents, health costs, things like that are continuing to go up, and our incomes don't seem to be climbing at the same rate. So there are also just a number of households where folks are working and doing everything they can to support their household. Um, and food is a variable that they can play with. Um, You can pay your rent and cut back on food, and our food shelves are there to help out with that. And, you know, uh, I wanted to visit with you a little bit. I know each year you guys don't set, you know, a a dollar amount or a a goal uh, because you just bring in as much as you can. Can you tell us what you brought in in 2018? Yes, absolutely. In 2018, we had um, our largest... March campaign in history. It was really, um, let me pull up my numbers here. I want to make sure I share the right, the right amount with you here. Um, we raised food shelves and Minnesota food, Minnesota food share together raised $8.1 million and brought in 5.5 million pounds of food and items for local food shelves. Um, and that was the most in our history. And then one of the the last things that I wanted to ask, Summer, is um, have the state's food shelves been able to keep up with this high demand that you were talking about? They do their best to keep up, but they're kind of always running at capacity, um, which is why it's so important that not only are we 
sharing um, dollars and donating our funds to food shelves, but also those food and other items are really important because they're really struggling to keep the shelves stocked. So when folks drop off bags of different items for food shelves, those can go immediately out into the shelves, um, and those dollars can help them plan ahead. But it really is um, a constant battle to try to keep those food shelves stocked. All right. Well, any final words here before I let you go today, Summer? No, we just are so grateful for the generosity and support from organizations throughout the state and really want to emphasize the amazing work that our local food shelves are doing and thank everyone for supporting us during the March campaign. Thanks again to my guest, Summer Anthony, Program Manager of Minnesota Food Share. For more information on the annual March food campaign, you can head online to minnesotafoodshare.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. We'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As we push deeper into March, basketball and madness comes to the forefront of sports fans' minds. This year, the pinnacle of the college basketball world, the NCAA Men's Final Four, will be at U.S. Bank Stadium in downtown Minneapolis. Reporter J.W. Cox caught up with Kate Mortensen, the head of the local organizing committee for the Final Four, to get an update on the preparation for the big weekend. Really, it is the time now where the calendar is turning to March, that uh, March Madness is about to heat up. And with this event being over spring break, we, we really hope that uh, uh, families in the region, uh, you know, folks who already uh, live and work near downtown, but many others from near and, and far around Minnesota will come and be a part of this experience. Mortensen says as the basketball action heats up, they'll also be ramping up their efforts both from a publicity and physical preparation standpoint. Friday, April 5th of Final Four weekend, when the whole um, Final Four experience really kicks off uh, with free and uh, inclusive, accessible events at the U.S. Bank Stadium and um, family-friendly events at the convention center, and uh, blocks of uh, activities and uh, things happening on uh, Nicollet with the tailgate experience. So being 35 uh, days out, uh, and of course we've got the, the games that will be on the 6th and the 8th, um, some of the, the build has begun. Uh, the, the darkening uh, solution is being installed at U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, and they'll begin uh, building out the uh, seat installation 
in a couple of days here. Organizers are not going into the Final Four prep process blind. Mortensen says the basketball games played inside U.S. Bank Stadium last fall, while on a smaller scale, do give them confidence about hosting moving forward. A requirement of the bid that the venue hold a basketball event prior to holding the NCAA Men's Final Four. Um, And that is in order to lay some basketball flooring down in the venue to uh, see how the uh, ribbon boards that uh, show video in, you know, in a circle around the venue and the the large video boards, uh, how the, um, you know, back of house functions for teams in locker rooms. But in terms of scale, it's, it's a, a, it's just a totally different scale from what the actual, uh, NCAA men's final four will be. Uh, but it does give you a chance to sort of, um, kick test the venue and, and they, they passed with flying colors and everything went extremely well. While the games are the crown jewel of the final four, Mortensen says even if you're not going to be a fan in the stands, there's still plenty of ways to make the final four a part of your spring. No ticket. No problem, because uh, a Final Four is an event that has many events around it for the for the host region to enjoy, and it is especially as a celebration of student-athletes and amateur sports. It's a very uh, joyful and accessible, multi-generational uh, experience that will be centered in downtown Minneapolis, and there are, um, you know, full day of activities that can be uh, had on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, especially uh, down uh, at the Fan Festival, which will be happening at the Convention Center in Minneapolis, where they have multi-sport activities, uh, climbing wall, batting caves. Uh, there's a um, experience lounge for the uh, adults to enjoy adult beverages, merchandise uh, to buy, lots of autograph signings and appearances. So that's at the Fan Festival. Kids 12 and under get in free there, so that's something um, not to miss. And it's a great one to pair with um, the free and open access to the stadium on Friday that is available just the day before the semifinal games where you can see the shoot-around from the four teams, and uh, that's only on Friday. There, there is a ton of things to do, whether or not you even enjoy the game of basketball. It's really important all of Minnesota knows they're invited to be a part of this um, Final Four celebration. The Final Four is next in line of a quickly growing list of marquee events to come to Minnesota. For Mortensen, it has become clear that there are definite reasons why the big-time events keep making their way to the North Star. We are truly in this region in a whole new landscape of opportunity. Uh, and it starts at our airport with our 145 nonstop destinations where people can get to our region uh, easily from other parts of the country. We've got a public transportation system uh, that connects the downtowns of Minneapolis and St. Paul with Bloomington and the airport. Uh, we have iconic venues uh, like U.S. Bank Stadium, like a refreshed Target Center, never mind the incredible venues that exist in St. Paul as well. And so, uh, you know, with our weatherproof skyway system, uh, believe it or not, we are a very uh, low-risk place to have uh, major events because whatever the weather, uh, people can get in and move around our, our uh, downtown in Minneapolis and, and St. Paul, too. And, and I would say the underlying piece that will really, uh, you know, lift the reputation of our region for hosting is our people. Minnesotans love to show up and welcome people to our state to experience all that we have to offer. So it is the spirit of Minnesota 
that really um, catches folks when they visit and, and lets them know how special a place this is. And, and then hopefully, you know, they come back again and again. The dates to mark on the calendar. Final Four action begins April 5th and runs through April 8th. More details at FinalFourMinneapolis.com. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.